Welcome to edition number 27 of the Voice of Retail podcast for the week of January 28th, 2019. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc from Emmy LeBlanc Company, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada and sponsored by Stream Commerce, North America's fastest growing Shopify Plus agency. Learn more at streamcommerce.com. Podcasting back home in Toronto, right in the middle of the deep freeze. Special shout out to Greg Wilson, Retail Council of Canada's West Coast lead for sending us the beautiful sunset pictures of Vancouver, reminding us that uh, the entire nation is not locked in a deep freeze as uh, the folks in Vancouver uh, go through a typical January day. Um, back-to-back, it's a busy episode, back-to-back interviews this episode, uh, first of all, with Dave Rogerson, a retail industry leader for Microsoft Canada, great friend of mine as well. Uh, we've known each other since working together at Hudson's Bay Company back in the early 2000s, and also an interview with Sean Terry, editor of uh, Canadian Retailer Magazine, and we'll be talking to Sean about uh, the current episode, or current <laughs> current edition, not episode, of uh, Canadian Retailer Magazine, what it's all about and uh, what is yet to come for the year for Canadian Retailer Magazine. So, a uh, busy episode, so let's uh, jump right in. All right, everyone, I'm here with the amazing Dave Rogerson from Microsoft Canada. Dave, how are you? I'm doing great, Michael. I'm in Montreal this morning, looking out at all the snow and uh, the cold weather, well, but I'm it, glad to be on the phone with you. Well, uh, thank you for joining the Voice of Retail podcast. I thought uh, you and I have known each other for a while, but I thought we'd take the opportunity to share with uh, our listeners a little bit about uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, tell us a little bit about your role. You're not new to retail, certainly, uh, with histories at Hudson's Bay, where you and I work together in Sears, but uh, you've been at Microsoft now, what, five years? Microsoft Canada, five years now? It's it's just five years now. And before that, I was with IBM for nine years, and in both cases, playing a very similar role. I'm the industry solution executive for retail and consumer packaged goods here in Canada for Microsoft. And in that role, I work with our account executives and with our partner organizations to help them bridge the gap between our customers and their technology solutions. So you kind of connect the dots, not just with um, Microsoft itself, corporately, so to speak, but also with the the many different solution providers that use Microsoft tools. That took me a little bit of time to understand because you would would always be referencing partners. Uh, So you really play this... um, as you say, connecting the dots or, or integrator role or introducer and subject matter experts. You wear a few hats, I think, it feels like. Well, and in a way, it's it's kind of fun and it makes every day a little bit different because here I am in a position where I've grown up in the industry. As you say, I, I know a lot of the people and in some ways, I'm, I'm physically connecting people to one another, but also in that sort of a, a networking from a corporate perspective Microsoft has hundreds, if not thousands of of partners who build on our platform, and they don't always know their way around Microsoft, and they may not necessarily know the customers that they want to talk to. So like yourself, you and I have worked with a number of people in the industry throughout our career, and it, it gives me the opportunity to go to people that I've connected with over the years and introduce them to solutions that I know will be of value in the roles they play. Let's now talk about um, the big show, New York and the big show tour, moving on to uh, chatting about 
uh, November, sorry. Uh, actually, it was in October, November when you and I first went down to New York. We uh, we host, or Microsoft is a great sponsor of uh, Retail Council of Canada's store tour in Manhattan that we do each and every year in January. And, and you're kind enough, and, and I'm uh, the lucky beneficiary of your insights as we both go down to New York uh, in Oct- earlier in October this year and just scout stores out. So... I wanted to get your impressions of the stores that we saw this year uh, for the store tour, and if any of them stood out in your mind. So just, again, for listeners of the Voice Retail Podcast, we try to identify interesting stores, concepts that you, first of all, won't see uh, necessarily in Canada, and or stores that kind of embody a, a trend or somehow stitch together a narrative that makes sense. But you know, we spent, uh, what was it, Saturday, uh, mid-January. Anything jump out at you from uh, from the many stores that uh, we looked at, Dave? There were, there were quite a few. And you're right. It's it, When you go to New York, you're able to see things that you don't normally see in a lot of other locations. And you and I are always looking for innovative design, innovative customer experience, innovative technologies. And I think we saw some good examples of that this year. One of the stores that stood out for me, and it's it's kind of timely for us in Canada, was a store that's called MedMen. It's a medical marijuana store. Mm. Uh, In New York State, medical marijuana is legal, but we wanted to take our guests, and we had about 60 60 or 70 retailers who were with us, wanted to show them what a world-class cannabis store could look like. And when you and I went down there originally, I tried to keep my mind open. I had no preconceptions of what Mm. it would look like. And I walked into the store and I was immediately struck by this sense that it very much had the feel of an apple store crossed with a Lululemon. Mm. So it was very clean. It was new. It was contemporary. The staff were very knowledgeable. That was one that stood out for me. And I think as we look at the development of physical storefronts for cannabis stores in Canada, that could very well be the type of thing that we're looking at. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think that's a great, um, you know, I'd echo your your uh, thoughts on that. I, what jumped out at me, and I know listening and, and speaking with the retailers on the tour, it, it, the people really, you know, the integration of the technology was, was impressive. Uh, the, the store layout, very bespoke, but the people really helped make that store. They were so enthusiastic, so knowledgeable, uh, as the kids would say, pretty chill, uh, as I guess you would expect from a bespoke cannabis store on Fifth Avenue, but uh, I so I echo your uh, your interest in in MedMen. What else? What else? There was another store that that everyone knows called Macy's that we mm. went into. Yeah, and and the Macy's location was kind of interested f- from a couple of different perspectives. We picked it because we saw two different things there that we liked. One was Beta, uh, a store that is sort of a a store within the store where a number of new technologies are, are located within the, the Macy's store. But at the same time, it's not Macy's merchandise. It's the merchandise of these, these small tech companies who have brought their products in and they're showing them. So it was kind of a marketplace within the physical store. That was one aspect of the visit that mm-hmm. I liked. Yep. The other one was the, the express checkout sort mm-hmm. of cashless checkout that we saw where you as a consumer can walk around the store with your tele- your cell phone with the Macy's app on it, scanning products as you walk around the store. 
put them in a bag and then simply go to an express cash out where you connect your, your phone with the point of sale and it recognizes all of the merchandise that you bought through your phone during that visit and checks you out with the currency or, or the payment method that you've associated with the loyalty program. It was, you know what, my observation about that, is, it, it was a neat um, approach and it really both uh, captured the challenges of running such a thing in a department store, right? Because the practical necessity of going to the checkout is that, you know, many of these things have sensormatic tags or, or security tags or some kind of theft prevention tool on them. So it's not exactly throw it in your basket and walk out, shop it like you stole it kind of retail. Uh, but, right. at the, but at the same time, uh, I thought it was a good attempt by Macy's to uh, to integrate, you know, one of many different solutions for shopping. And and I'd also echo, you know, from Beta, it was interesting that each each item that was featured had the same format on a tablet that you could interact with. And and when you decided you wanted more information, you hit you know tell me more, and then the uh, what did they call the the beta testers the, the the great people would get a Slack notification. So really, just an interesting all around. Um, you know, people at the center, but yet technology enabling type retail experience. And you and I have seen that a number of times now mm-hmm. where staff within the store are re- receiving real-time notifications that a customer has an inquiry. Come and help me. I'm in this section or bring me this merchandise so that I can try it on in the change room. It's, it's sort of an interesting combination of enabling the associates with technology that helps make for a better customer experience. So you combine that with the attitude that you talked about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the attitude of the staff working in the MedMen store. Well, I think you've got an unbeatable combination. Uh, let's uh, let's finish up our conversation about the tour with the, with the, uh, the elephant in the room, or should I say the Snuffleupagus in the room. Uh, for many years, uh, we went to New York trying to find uh, the reputed Amazon store, but there really wasn't one until maybe last year. They have a couple of bookstores, and this year they had their four-star location. And, and in some ways, I think retailers, I know uh, the ones I spoke to came out kind of like, huh, I guess Amazon doesn't have it all figured out because they were f- somewhat underwhelmed by the by the location. What, what did you think about it? Well, there was some, I, I think we should sort of clarify for the listener what we saw with the Amazon four-star store. That mm. was not the automated Amazon Go store right. that some people expected. This is a store which which allows you to look at products which are rated as four-star selections by Amazon shoppers online. So it's a physical store, not terribly terribly big. I'd say it was probably about five to ten thousand square feet. Yeah, about that. And all, all of the products in there were merchand was merchandise that you could find online with Amazon. But they each had a digital price tag mounted on them, which would tell you, here's the rating of consumers from Amazon online. Here are some comments. And as prices would change dynamically on Amazon, they would also change in the store. Uh, this, This was also a place where if you had bought merchandise online from Amazon, you could physically return it to this store, mm-hmm. the uh, buy online return in store model. Yeah, Boris, and, is, uh, as some call Boris. it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So that that was very different than what we've all read about with the Amazon Go stores. Yes. Which, interestingly enough, as I've 
talk to people at Amazon and, and learn more about the solution really isn't scalable in the sense of how big a physical location it can handle. Mm. They really are meant for that sort of quick service. Uh, convenience store. Convenience C-store, store. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. That kind of a layout, probably more in the 5,000 square foot range. Mm. And it's, it's not inexpensive. I've been told that it can cost Amazon up to about a million dollars per location to outfit those with the technology that they need to process the payments and observe the customers within the store. And it's and it's not uh, just as we wrap up on this part. It's not peopleless either, right? There's lots of people that I've seen in pictures uh, from Go stores where you know someone has to restock the shelves, and in the case of where they sell alcohol, someone has to check ID. I think that's one of the reasons they've phased out alcohol sales in uh, states where they can do it just because it just adds people and process um, it to, does. to what's supposed to be a process. So let's let's move on and, and uh, talk about NRF 19, the big show, um, huge. I mean, I was impressed. Uh, you know, you Microsoft always has an impressive physical presence at the show, um, you know, very sophisticated booth. But, you know, I was I was uh, impressed. It feels like there's some momentum there because when I walked through uh, your booth, the Microsoft booth, I saw a lot of buzz going on and I, I, I eavesdropped on some conversations and there was a lot of interesting, you know, animated conversations going on. So it feels like um, it feels like a good show. Um, it feels like Microsoft's got some definite momentum. But what, what's your impression, first of all, of the show and then what you heard maybe in the booth from, uh, from retailers from uh, Canada and around, uh, around the world? Well, you're right about it being big, Mike. It's not often that you can go and and meet with 37,000 of your closest friends all at one time. Uh, That show's been running for about 110 years now, Mm. uh, for the most part all in New York City. And it has turned into probably the global, uh, the largest, most influential and uh, interesting show in the retail industry. And and so if you want to see something new in the way of technology or services for the retail industry, really NRF in New York in the first part of January is the place to be. Yeah, they've done a good job of uh, building and branding that, that show for sure. And And you're right about the momentum. We have had in recent weeks a number of great announcements, a partnership with Walgreen, a partnership with Kroger in the States. Many of these were being announced in the weeks coming Mm -hmm. up to NRF, and we actually had the people from Kroger in our booth demonstrating some of the technologies that they've developed along with us. And it's quite an interesting story because the research and development team at Kroger has actually been spun off into a separate company Mm. called Sunrise Technologies. And so in our booth, we had the folks from Kroger and Sunrise with us demonstrating some of the shelf edge technologies that they have, the uh, ceiling mounted devices, which have both cameras, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi built in. These are the sorts of things that are combining a number of different technologies to be able to provide retailers with several solutions in one device. So being able to observe customer movement within the store and track them, uh, be able to see what kind of dwell time has been established in certain parts of the store, be able to look at out-of-stock items. So now, in a number of ways, you're satisfying the needs of the merchants, the marketing teams, and the people who are operating the store. It's a perfect trifecta of functionality. 
Good word, first of all. Um, good trifecta. That's a great word. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I, I had an interesting observation when you talk about Sunrise Technologies as part of Kroger. You're seeing that more, I think, because you see it at Walmart. They've got Walmart Labs, where the tech is becoming so sophisticated that there's a core group of technologists that run the, you know, keep the POS working, very important, uh, keep the, the base line running. But then I see many retailers starting not exactly a spin-off, but divisions that really are focusing on next-gen technology because it's so complicated, yet it can't be done by a third party because ultimately this technology needs to integrate back into the footprint in, you know, Dayton, Ohio, or, you know, Mississauga, Ontario, right? It, it can't be divorced, but needs somehow special attention. It, it feels like um, we're seeing that happen more and more with, with retailers across the country and, and North America. Would you agree? I, I would agree, and I, I think it's a very different model than what we've seen before. When it comes to technologies, retailers have three choices. Uh, the first is that they can buy the technology. The second is that they can build it. And there are a number of retailers who have, have become quite proficient in coming up with very innovative solutions. Yeah. But the third one is that you can belong to mm. it. Interesting. And and that's a very different approach. So companies who are coming to the front now, like Kroger, are are doing this in a very unique way. They want to partner with other retailers and to continue developing new technologies. So they're looking at they they are actually in partnership already with retailers in both Japan, Europe, other locations in the United States. And I said to them with a smile on my mm. face. The audacity of you people, You're, you've become so good at selling to consumers, that's not enough. Now you even want to sell to your competition. And they said, well, you know, that's right. We, we see this as a different way of doing business. We, yes, we are still in competition with other grocers, but now they're reaching out to other channels, other verticals within retail as well as grocers in, in different locations to share the technology that they've developed and be able to monetize that. So the benefits to a different company, uh, say a Metro or, or a Sobeys here in Canada, uh, they can benefit by partnering with Kroger who have done all the hard work of sweating this technology and proving it out in their own stores. And then as it's implemented in their own locations, continuing to work with them so that that, that technology can evolve even more. It feels like, um, you know, Will, you mentioned uh, Kroger and, and Sobeys in the same sentence because they now share a partner, Ocado. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned that in the context of, um, of both, you know, Kroger doing the heavy listing, lifting with the scale they have, Sobeys being no small retailer either and having scale themselves, but the two of them together kind of cracking the code. Listen, Dave, this has been uh, such a treat for me uh, having the opportunity to chat uh, with you. Thank you again so much for joining uh, the Voice of Retail podcast this week. We'll look forward to having you on again in uh, future episodes. I think we could talk for a couple of hours about what's going on in technology, but uh, in lieu of that, uh, thank you so much again for joining me, and uh, I wish you safe travels out of uh, snowy Montreal. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, Dave. We're back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave. I can't spend enough time uh, with Dave. Every time I come out of a conversation, I learn something 
new and interesting, such great scope and uh, and scale with the retail industry. Speaking of learning a lot about the retail industry, check out now my interview with Sean Terry, editor of Canadian Retailer Magazine. Sean, why don't we start out with a little bit about you? Um, you're editor of Canadian Retailer Magazine. How long have you been doing that? Uh, that is coming up on uh, 10 years, Mike. It's uh, kind of uh, difficult to uh, comprehend that, but uh, yeah, almost 10 years editor of the magazine, something I uh, am really proud of and uh, you know, something that uh, keeps me going every single day covering the uh, retail beat full time. So let's start talking about uh, the current issue. What uh, What's the theme of the current issue and give us a sense of what kind of articles we'll find on uh, the inside? The current issue that uh, is in offices and, and on desks uh, is the technology and e-commerce issue. And uh, what I, what strikes me most um, or what has struck me most over the last 10 years uh, working within the industry is the, the amount of technological innovation that happens within retail, arguably more so than any other uh, sector. Um, and with that in mind, uh, we started to explore issues that uh, uh, are kind of, you know, looking ahead uh, and, and some that are a little more closer to home happening right now. Uh, we start the issue uh, by taking a look at technological uh, deployments and the importance of designing those deployments rather than just planning them, uh, allowing businesses to deploy their uh, technology right the first time, avoiding headaches and hassles and clumsy, costly rollouts uh, down the road. We also take a look at uh, uh, automated commerce and um, maybe, you know, something that uh, isn't uh, happening full steam across the board just yet, but we, we try to explore the issue a little further, take a look at uh, how that might impact uh, the retail industry going forward and how the use of data, structured and unstructured, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, and predictive analytics, uh, you know, take a look at how those things are helping to set up the framework for a brand new retail experience down the road. Of course, we take a look at uh, in-store technologies, things like augmented and virtual realities, and uh, how retailers are leveraging those uh, uh, types of approaches to enhance the customer experience. So tell me, Sean, looking forward, you're probably already working on the next uh, issue, the next episode, so to speak. Um, I'm me talking about in podcast terms, episodes, next issue. That, and there's six issues per correct. year yep, of Canadian right. Retailer, correct? Tell us about the next issue. What uh, What's it all about and when can we expect it out? Uh, uh, the next the issue, we're, we're taking a look at unified retail commerce. Uh, so, and again, it, it follows along with, uh, you know, the theme of many of our issues uh, and Looking ahead, we try to look down the road to, uh, uh, you know, in our in our best way, help uh, support retailers and and the things that they're going to need to uh, take a look at and recognize down the road. So, in uni- uh, when we talk about unified retail commerce, we talk about uh, again a lot of the data. Uh, that is gathered by retailers, the systems that are used to gather that data, and uh, consolidating uh, systems to be able to take a more holistic view of the customer journey and in that sense get closer to them understand them better and enhance that journey for them yeah ambitious that's going to be an interesting uh, issue when can we expect it in uh, mailboxes or online because there is an online edition at Correct. retail 
Council.org? Uh, when, that when, is going, that's going is that to launch the launch? end of April, uh, both the print and online. Expect, uh, expect the print the third week of April, followed shortly after by the digital edition. Thanks for joining us. One last question for you. Um, who's going to be the top of the table of the Premier League? <laughs> that's an year? excellent question. If, if Carl Littler is, is listening, it's definitely going to be Liverpool FC. <laughs> and, and thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course. Hey, listen, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll chat uh, more uh, towards the end of April and go into a bit more depth of the new issue. But until then, uh, enjoy the uh Thanks very the much, Mike. A pleasure. Thanks for joining us. And we're back live with the Voice of Retail podcast. Now let's continue with the retail this week. Stories from culled from news across Canada and around the world with some of the top stories. This, of course, is uh, taken from Retail This Week, which is an e-newsletter, the biggest one in Canada, biggest weekly newsletter in Canada, available at retailcouncil.org. I pull that together each and every week, 51 weeks of the year. Uh, so let's uh, let's marshal right on and let's look at the top retail stories. Uh, first and foremost, uh, massive Loblaws city market coming to the Canada Post Redevelopment downtown Vancouver. This is from the Daily Hive. Beautiful, beautiful rendering. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's really going to be a milestone statement piece of real estate uh, that merges uh, modern uh, contemporary themes and uh, and the traditional. So uh, really making a statement in uh, Vancouver. It's going to be a huge space. Uh, check that out, opening next year. Article here from the Globe and Mail. I was actually quoted in this article or interviewed for uh, for this article, actually halfway through a pub crawl in Dublin, a little insider <laughs> information there. But the interview turned out okay anyway. It's actually a really good survey article. It's not the first or the last, sorry, it's not the last article in the series where the Globe and Mail is uh, looking at the cashless society. And, uh, you know, I'm, I make the point in it that really retailers fundamentally are going to go with the customer's send them in terms of whether there's cash or, or not. There's a lot of issues around cashless retail. Uh, and in fact, you know, while the article ends on a point uh, that the uh, the author makes about the small independent retailers like uh, cash, I, I would extend that to large retailers as well. Cash is still king in terms of cost and efficiency, um, or certainly at least cost, and, and continues to offer customers flexibility. And, and I don't think many are ready to go cashless yet. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Some great numbers in there, too. So do check that out, that from the Globe and Mail. From the Toronto Star, an article about uh, looking back at shopping malls a year after Sears uh, departed the landscape. And uh, Deanne Breesbaugh here from uh, Retail Council of Canada saying the apocalypse hasn't happened. And listeners would know that I've been uh, beating that drum for two years, that the retail apocalypse is a myth. Uh, this actually coincides with the release from Retail Council of Canada of uh, the annual updated shopping center study that they do in in cooperation with uh, or led by uh, Craig Patterson. And uh, interesting, check that out. You can find that and download that on retailcouncil.org. That's open to uh, members and non-members. And, um, you know, the one page that I took uh, that I found most interesting is the page that looks at the top malls in terms of sales per square foot productivity. And uh, out of, I think, 10 or 15 of the malls, only two actually declined, some uh, like uh, Yorkdale actually had double-digit increases. So malls still vital component of uh, retail in this country. Uh, another article here on uh, an interview, actually I was interviewed for uh, Canada Press, uh, the Canada Press or the Canadian Press, talking about uh, the influx of, of Asian-focused or Asian-centric household goods retailers, Muji, Umu, um, to name just a few. And I make the point in that article whether, you know, that they are popular 
as a set of retailers uh, because they're offering some unique products with some great value, and Canadians like that, and and uh, that resonates well with Canadians. But you could also cluster together uh, French retailers like um, that have come to Canada, and uh, you could cluster many nations of retailers together. Uh, I was thinking of decathlon, by the way, just in that in that sentence. Um, but uh, more importantly, Canada is a, just a huge destination, one of the top destinations now, number seven in the world for international retailers. So it shouldn't surprise us that retailers from around the world, uh, and we've talked about it on the podcast before how Muji, for example, has their second largest store outside of Japan. So it's a real testament to the Canadian market. Uh, interesting story from the Globe and Mail here, that from CTV of the Canadian press, uh, where Rexall is now actually providing uh, some of the food for, uh, or sorry, M&M, uh, food market is providing the food for Rexall. That's a nice integration of the two and continues the trend of seeing food uh, delivered into and available at uh, pharmacies. They've got just a huge physical footprint. So it is a, a, a nice extension of, uh, of the real estate. A couple of videos. And one of them I wanted to highlight, and uh, there's an art, it's called China and the Logistics of Everything. And, and some very wise person said to me once, everything you hear about China is true. Uh, I mean, the numbers are just uh, amazing, and there's some great numbers in this video. Uh, it's from Goldman Sachs Research, Research Department. Over 140 million parcels each and every day shipped in China. Wow. Uh, and they talk about how both the density of China and uh, leads to uh, a critical mass of infrastructure that lowers the cost dramatically of cost per parcel. And that's just not lower labor costs. That's just density, just pure logistics. So they talk about uh, the package in China costing about a dollar to deliver versus about five dollars in the U.S., probably even higher in, in Canada. So it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, video filled with startling factoids like that. So do check it out. Uh, speaking of home delivery, um, Metro has announced uh, on the heels of their Q1 2019 results, which are pretty good, that they are actually also now going to expand their e-commerce delivery pilot outside of the province of Quebec into Ontario. Um, so I think you're really going to see, I've, I've often and will continue to say, in fact, I'm in Ottawa today, broadcasting from Ottawa today or podcasting from Ottawa today. Uh, you see and will see the e-commerce grocery space as probably the most interesting space in terms of competition uh, and evolution that you'll see for the next number of years. Uh, it's a very small percentage of uh, sales, but it's got a really interesting space. And it's great to see that uh, Metro is expanding into the uh, the Ontario market with that. From retail around the world, uh, first article from uh, New York Times is, talks about how Alibaba, uh, while growing and while posting you know, significant double-digit growth, their growth is starting to slow down. And that's a factor, I think, of a couple of things. Um, but one of which is it's just a factor of, of uh, that the private sector wage growth is down. Um, in, in middle class uh, Chinese and people are increasingly cutting back and I think you know I think that's uh, a trend not a feature uh, there's so much uh, efficiency and I think uh, you'll still con- continue to see sales growth but I think it went like from 60% growth to 40 so it's all relative um, article here on tractor supply company TSC that's the other TSC not the shopping channel where I used to work but TSC tractor supply company a really great uh, business to take a close look at, and they they don't get a lot of this article talks about how um, it's called what uh, TSC can teach other retailers from CNN, and really what they say is look we don't get a lot of people through the door, so we make sure that when they do come in, uh, we serve the heck out of them, and uh, it's a really good article. They kind of put on a clinic about how to get great uh, service 
uh, and, and really high productivity, so check that out. Uh, Tesco announced that they're axing 15,000 jobs. They're closing their meat, fish, and deli counter. I read an, this from uh, the Daily Mail. Uh, they're doing that in 732 stores. Seems pretty dramatic. Tesco's in a bit of a, a bit of trouble. I wouldn't say a bit of trouble. That's an exaggeration, but is really looking to to up their profitability. Brexit is not helping the economy in the UK. Uh, and really, the deli and the fresh is really more. You know, I read another article. It's kind of a pantomime. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really deliver what it's saying. Not a lot of margin in it. Uh, the way they do it, and they decided, well, you know, when no one's coming here for this, uh, let's cut it out. It's a pretty bold move. Um, we'll see how that works out for Tesco. Um, Walmart is exiting from Google Express. Google Express is that big service in the U.S. meant to compete uh, from food perspective. Uh, and from another perspective, uh, in terms of competing with Amazon, it's run by Google. And, you know, Google's got a big advantage. they got 52 million of their devices in people's homes. Um, but they just got a bit of a blow with Walmart pulling out all their products and range of brands from their marketplace. Uh, though the article does say, and this article from Digiday, that it, doesn't, it does open it up to smaller players. So we'll see that, that how it uh, we'll see how that evolves. It really does, though, take out a critical mass of, of name products. Uh, so uh, that is, I would say, a, a blow to, uh, to Google's ambitions in terms of uh, Google Express. Uh, Amazon in the news as well. Cal uh, Surprise, Amazon in the news all the time. Uh, they released their numbers uh, today, and uh, it's not in this e-news, but uh, interesting to look at their profitability versus their sales growth. Uh, they seem to miss expectations. Of course, their expectations are quite high uh, for Amazon, but uh, they continue to make money primarily in two places, AWS and in their ad sales. This uh, article from CNBC talks about uh, a few years ago, two years, they bought the Sook uh, for $580 million, and that's growing in the Middle East. Uh, it looks like um, uh, you know they're trying to get away from North America focus, which accounts for 69% of the revenue, according to this article. So they're trying to expand there. And uh, we've talked about in this uh, podcast as well about their expansions in uh, places like India. So uh, good luck to uh, Amazon. Uh, in the news for retail entrepreneurs, kind of a sad day is the Gene Machine closes their doors. And this is a great article from the Toronto Star, and it looks back at the history of what really was a, a groundbreaking retail uh, concept, uh, you know, blue mannequins, uh, quirky associates and a great staff. So check that article out. It's a really nice look back at uh, the Gene Machine. Uh, article here from The Atlantic, and I put it in there, it, it, where Amazon returns go to be resold. And it's not, you know, obviously Amazon itself doesn't belong in the entrepreneur section, but it's all the entrepreneurs and ecosystem of who and how, where that product winds up, and people buy it, buy the pallet and, you know, try to get the, you know, get some great values out of it. It's kind of like one of those storage locker hunting shows. Uh, you've seen some of these videos that are getting millions of views where people kind of unbox, so to speak, the pallet of product that they bought, the mystery pallet from Amazon. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's you know, continues to create around Amazon this massive uh, ecosystem. Uh, talk Another article from the Star Tribune, that from uh, Minnesota, talks about how brandless uh, is the hot, one of the hottest things, I guess, uh, and is really an e-commerce startup relying on the skills of a merchandising team that, that takes brand out and delivers great products. So uh, it's really well worth a read, particularly if you've never heard of Brandless. Uh, it's a good overview article. 
A couple of quick ar- uh, articles around cannabis. First of all, you know, this supply issue is continuing to be a real problem. Uh, here in uh, Newfoundland, Puff Puff Pass Head Shop is closed. Uh, they opened up and they just can't get enough supply, and the supply they get uh, from the Newfoundland, Newfoundland and Labrador government who owns a distribution isn't good enough, so they just close the doors. They just can't make a go of it. Uh, so sad to see that uh, after, what, only four or five months of opening. So the supply issue continues to be a real challenge. And surprisingly, uh, the next article from, CB, uh, from the CBC uh, 10 new retail licenses were issued in Alberta. So a bit of a hue and cry from the ones who already have it saying, listen, we can't even get enough to begin with. Um, you know, uh, it's really interesting that they, that they Alberta had, had capped the store at 65. Now they're opening it to 75. But the general feeling, uh, talking to people in the business, is there's not enough supply to begin with, so why give more licenses at this point in time? It's a real rock and a hard place, I think, for, for everyone uh, in the industry, uh, probably for the next uh, 8 to 12 months. Spotlight and Retail Technology, uh, there's some good couple of overview articles about great tech from NRF, uh, which I was at, and, and some of them, uh, for example, uh, Hama or Alibaba or Alipay uh, self-checkout is really fascinating. And check out with, for example, uh, visual, your face visualization as your ID on this checkout. Uh, checkout at Hama, which is the grocery store for uh, Alibaba, is really another... Uh, never worldly because they're not a single human being during the checkout process so if you want to see what self-checkout looks like to its farthest extreme check that out and again a couple of good articles about uh, retail tech uh, amazon also enters the delivery robot game with scout so these are fun uh, little six-wheel devices that move around campuses uh, and deliver product they stop outside your door and here's your product and eh, i don't know that feels kind of like their drone thing i don't know how practical it is it's kind of fun to watch uh, I don't think these things survive in many neighborhoods, really. Um, but uh, they're kind of fun to watch. It's a fun video, that from Curbed. Uh, so it's called Scout. Uh, so do check that out. Just another kind of quirky way that uh, Amazon looks at uh, delivering products. It's a fun video to watch. I'm not sure. You know, I kind of put it in the same category as drones. Uh, not wildly practical, but uh, fun in the abstract and, and fun to think of. And last article of the uh, of the session, Point of Sale Technology Helps cannabis retailers dodge fines this from business in vancouver biv uh it's something that's not actually often spoken of we haven't got around to talking about it but there's a lot of compliance issues seed to sale so to speak uh, on cannabis retailers and uh, this article is a nice overview of the technology that uh, at point of sale that helps uh, track and helps these retailers be compliant because if they're not compliant uh, there's like huge fines like fifty thousand dollar plus fines so uh, the point of sale technology that's coming from a number of great providers is helping, uh, helping to avoid all those fines. So that's a wrap on on uh, the Voice of Retail podcast and and this week uh, in retail. Uh, once again, the Voice of Retail podcast is sponsored by Stream Commerce. No one better in your in your corner than uh, Ted Starkman and his team, at Shopify Plus uh, partner, the biggest, fastest growing Shopify Plus partner in North America. They're both. Uh, craft your strategy, build the site, and then help you drive traffic to that site. So learn more at streamcommerce.com. I'm Michael LeBlanc. Learn more about me at meleblanc.co.co. And until next week, where we've got another series of interviews and the retail uh, this week, adieu, and I will talk to you all next week.